In her 1991 Life Achievement Academy Award speech, Myrna Loy expressed deep gratitude, saying, You've made me very happy. Thank you very much. Born in Raidersburg, Montana, Hollywood had little knowledge of her birthplace and the courage it took for her mother to relocate their family to California after her father's death in 1918. Responsible for her family's well-being, Lloyd took her dancerly talents, dramatic flair, and beauty to the big screen, auditioning for roles in silent movies. Unfortunately, she faced typecasting and limited opportunities, often being cast in racist roles as villainous femme fatale women of Asian descent. However, Myrna Loy's determination and resilience shone through when she achieved success with her iconic role in The Thin Man, portraying a sophisticated and independent woman. American audiences adored her, earning her the title The Queen of Hollywood. Throughout her career, she fought for better roles, pay equality, and more substantial character development for women in film. Despite challenges, Myrna Loy's triumphs and contributions to the film industry have left a lasting legacy. A strong-willed Montanan, she forged her own path, much like the empowered women portrayed in the film Certain Women. Hey, Flint. What are you doing here? Came to see my lawyer. My wife wants me out of the house. You can't keep coming here. Your wife works for you. No, she's the boss, actually. I wonder how much more there might be buried here. I was so afraid I'd get out of law school and be selling shoes. My mom works in a school cafeteria, my sister in a hospital laundry, so selling shoes is the nicest job a girl from my family's supposed to get. Let's you and I make an effort to be nice to your mom today. Why? Because neither of us could do very well without her. Thank you for listening to the original Montana Film Guide, a show about movies made partially or wholly in Montana. My name is Josh Quick. I'm sitting with Lauren Norby, Daniel Morgan, and our special guest, Courtney Blazon, a fine artist and commercial illustrator working and living in Missoula, Montana. Today's movie is Certain Women, filmed in Livingston, Montana, 2016. Welcome. Welcome indeed. And before we get into the sandstone wall of this thing, Lauren's going to give us the breakdown of Certain Women. All right, so Certain Women contains three barely overlapping vignettes based on short stories by Maylee Malloy, all set in Livingston, Montana. Uh, in the first story, Laura Dern plays a lawyer. Uh, there's a man that we see she sleeps with in the middle of the day. Her main story is 
about a difficult client she has with a the hopeless worker's disability case who eventually gets into a situation with the police and draws Laura Dern into it. In the second story, we have Michelle Williams playing a woman who is glamping with her husband and daughter in Livingston. She doesn't get along with either of them very well. Also, her husband is Laura Dern's lover from the first vignette. Michelle Williams and her family are going to build a part-time home in Livingston, and Williams wants to buy a pile of historic sandstone blocks from an old guy's yard to have local materials for authenticity. In the third and final vignette, Lily Gladstone plays a quiet, lonely ranch hand. Kristen Stewart is a brand new lawyer driving four hours each way to teach a class. Gladstone's character stumbles into the class and proceeds to have awkward kind of dates with Stuart at a diner after each class until Stuart doesn't show up one day. Gladstone drives four hours to Livingston to see Stuart again. And while she's in Livingston, she looks for Stuart's character in Laura Dern's law office. Uh, there's also a coda at the end of the movie that revisits each of the three stories. Yes. Thank you, Lauren. That was fantastic. Courtney, I'm so grateful you're with us. Welcome. Thank- Thank you for having me. Yes, it's (laughs) great. Um, So before I ask you, well, I guess this is a two-parter for you. Um, Why did you choose this film, part one? Mm -hmm. And part two is, how'd you feel about it after you watched it? Well, I chose certain women um, because I'm a big Kelly Reichardt fan. I think that's how you say it, Reichardt. Um, fan and big fan. Is that the right way to put it? Uh, I enjoy her films and as much as you can enjoy them because they're pretty quiet. Um, they're more kind of meditations and, um, the, it's sort of like a triple or quadruple connection to Montana, which is another reason it has Lily Gladstone, Michelle Williams, who's from Montana, um, it was, I, didn't, I didn't know that Michelle Yeah, Williams. she's from Kalispell, I believe. Excellent. Um, yeah. And then um, Miley Malloy is from Helena and sister to Colin Malloy of the Decemberists. Interesting. So there's a lot of Montana connections in addition to being filmed in Livingston. So it seemed like a quadruple whammy. Um, and yeah, uh, I think it was a good choice to, to bring to the table. And, and we're glad you did. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea there were so many connections. Yeah. Um, how recently did you watch it? Well, I watched it today to, okay. to sort of remember everything, but I saw it when it came out, and then I saw it one time in between when it was on the Criterion Collection or Criterion Channel. So I've watched it three times, but today I watched it again. <laughs> so you watched it back in 2016. Yeah. Do you think that it hit you differently back then. I know that was long, that was a lifetime ago for all of us really. Yeah. Did it hit you differently back then than it did this time? Yeah. I, I didn't, I did get more out of it then than this time. This time I, I left it feeling kind of not fully satisfied, which maybe is the point. Uh, maybe that is the, the, feeling that I should be having when I saw it the first time it felt incredibly profound but maybe that was just where I was at as well yeah I find that too um my life circumstances definitely are Mm -hmm. are 
related to my movie watch. Yeah. Um, were there any um, profound thoughts at all those things? I know it hit you flat this yeah. time, but did anything... Is it just your feeling now that might have been interesting to you? <laughs> like Right, yeah. I think maybe I was surprised that I didn't feel as strongly about it. That is why I haven't... With some films I've had really emotional um, feelings for, I haven't ever revisited them because I don't want to ruin that feeling. Um, and so I was a little disappointed, but then also there were other things about it that I think um struck me as more impactful like I was just really even more so than before impressed by Lily Gladstone and like kind of could have watched just that segment and that really just carried the whole film for me it was just so beautiful she's incredible (laughs) agreed yeah yeah um Daniel how how did how did this movie strike you um well, first of all, welcome, Courtney. Thank you. Um, I'm really glad you're here. So we're going to have a proper discussion. <laughs> uh, and thank you for choosing this movie. I'm, I'm also a big fan of uh, Kelly Reichardt, and I, I agree with almost everything you said about her filmmaking. And um, Kelly Reichardt is just one of those directors that keeps enchanting me, like hypnotizing me. And I can't get enough of it. I I enjoy pretty much every movie that that she's made. And I don't know if enjoy or like is is a good word to use when it comes to her movies. I agree that it's a meditation. She makes movies out of whispers. um, But they stay with you. And they don't stay with you because of something that you can put your finger on. It's just a feeling that just kind of washes over you and, and you keep mulling it over in your head. Um, and I mean, what really can you, what more can you ask of any art? You know, to me, that's, we talked about last time that the cardinal sin, I feel like of any art or expression is uh, being boring, not having anything to say. Um, and she definitely has a lot to say. She just say, says it in the most quiet, restrained way possible and she's really uh this is a master class in restraint whether it's the performances or the pacing of the movie or um, the stories or the dialogue it, it really is a master class in what you can do with so little um to create such a beautiful piece of art so i take that as a thumbs up from daniel if if that's the system we're using here <laughs> Sure. I feel like our system here is pretty freestyle, so yeah. I just throw through that in. Thank you. Maybe we should do like uh, three trouts or some Montana sure. thing. Yeah. I think we've discussed that. <laughs> trouts was definitely in the docket. We had woolly buggers. We had a bison. A bison. Three and a half bison. You don't want a half a bison. You want a whole bison. There's no halves. Agreed. Yeah. Maybe our system is all kinds of different Montana uh, fauna and the reader has to interpret or the listener has to interpret <laughs> well how how does three trouts compare to one bison like four tamaracks three yeah. white caps no we should do four Knievels. four Knievels. boom i love it lauren how'd you feel about this movie i really enjoyed watching it again um similar to courtney welcome courtney oh thank you <laughs> uh, s- similar to courtney i feel like it did 
feel different. Like I, I think I believe I saw it in theater when it first came out, and I remember being so excited about it. And and yeah, I, I feel like it it felt profound to me at the time. Um, and I, yeah, not not to denigrate it, I feel like it. The times that we're living in now have changed so much in the past six, seven, eight years, nine years yeah. since. Uh, seven. 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 Two thousand sixteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can yeah. count. So t- tell me a little bit more about that. Like, uh, obviously there was yeah. a pandemic, but what else? What else were we talking well, just, about? I feel like there were some quiet, quiet but progressive feminist ideas, and and just like, you know, like uh, in in Laura Dern's story, she's just like, oh, I've I've been talking to this guy for eight months about this case that is hopeless, and we go and talk to another lawyer for a second opinion, and he says it's hopeless. And the guy's just like, okay, thanks. And gives up. Mm-hmm. And, and she says something about like, oh, well, like, you know, I, I wish, I wish I was a man. Or I, I don't know if she actually voices no, I, that. I think but she said that, I just like that. Yeah. That's, that's the sentiment. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like in, in 2016, you know, we, I don't remember the exact setting, but I'm, I'm imagining like Donald Trump is running for president, but we know that Hillary Clinton's going to be elected. And we just know that, we know so much about feminism and women and progressive politics and like uh, the arc of history bending toward justice or however that goes. Um, and I feel like that that movie was like speaking quietly about like these things are like, oh, the world's not quite perfect, but we can keep striving. And now in terms of that message, it feels like it's not shouting loud enough and um not not that not that it's kelly reichert's job to shout that message to other people i I don't think that i think there's a certain audience for this movie and i don't think she's probably getting a lot of people who are donald trump voters and converting them to a more progressive outlook um yeah you bring up um quietly speaking to that I was looking earlier at the different movies that were coming out at the exact same time so I just want to say some of these movies that were out there and I understand this is indie cinema but like the box office smashes we had um, uh, we had all sorts of Batman versus Superman Hail Caesar which was pretty good I guess there's a David Lynch film Jason Bourne like these are super masculine like go to the movies, you know, and they're enjoyable, but like, I just love the idea of this, this movie existing at the exact same time and coming out and she, you know, they had a box office of a million dollars, which isn't a lot, but like people were out there watching it and she won awards at indie festivals and things of that nature. And I feel like when I say stuff like that, I'm actually kind of lowering the movie, but, um, it's really the message of the movie. Um, did you have more, Lauren, that you wanted to say about your feelings I mean, around it? Always so much. Okay, we can get we can get into that. I enjoyed this movie a great deal. I recently watched. Uh, I'm not going to name the film, but it was it was so um, 
it bombarded me with information so fast and it was loud and explosive and concussive and I can get with that but um, re-watching this movie today after that just to kind of remind myself of it the pacing the quietness of the movie um, the shots that are in the movie real artistic beautiful shots the lighting and then the characters um, for me it was a very welcome experience and I liked it a great deal and that's how I felt about it so I'm thinking we should jump into some scenes so this is the spoiler section of the podcast so if you haven't seen the movie I suggest you switch this off don't forget to subscribe uh, come back to us once you've seen it and you can listen to some of the scenes we enjoyed so Courtney we'll start off with you um, is there a scene that stood out to you yeah I mean I think and maybe this is kind of universal with this film but the scene of Lily Gladstone um, riding on the horse with Kristen Stewart's character is just you can see it's almost like and maybe the first time I watched it I saw more romance in it and this time when I watched it I thought Lily Gladstone feels this romance but Kristen Stewart is just literally so cold that she's like what are we doing on this horse um, I uh, but it's like the pride the pride in Lily Gladstone's face as this scene unfolds like she's this sort of knight in shining armor um is just really beautiful to me um yeah and they're riding through a parking lot <laughs> at night in that area I, I imagine it's like 40 degrees out maybe 30 right yeah yeah and is she leaning against her because she's cold that wasn't right yeah, yeah that's what I interpreted yeah. it as this time was more like Kristen Stewart is like tired she's she's cold she has this long drive back like she has a lot of things on her mind that don't involve this uh this person and it's just such an ambiguous and that's how kind of life generally is there's just more ambigu ambiguity than there is clear-cut truths right like when you're in a situation with another person you never quite know what they're feeling and you can really get that sense except i think with lily gladstone you do get pretty this just she's like a gary cooper on a horror she's got swagger the, she's got swagger <laughs> exactly it's it's she's totally an open book in that moment and i think it's kind of beautiful because the rest of the the segment doesn't have that quality and i gotta yeah. say if if you come to my class and you're not enrolled and we hang out at a diner together <laughs> right. And if you show up to my work with a horse and give me a ride to said diner, you can get it. I'm not lying. Like, okay. Yeah. Or you'll, right. at the very least, right. at the very least, you will get a long hug from me with right. rubbing. But that, that's what you meant by it? No, you know what I mean. Um, and she didn't get that. Yeah, she didn't get that. No. And um, so you mentioned um, it's Kirsten or Kristen Stewart. I always forget. I get that mixed up. I think it's Kristen. Yeah, Kristen, Kristen Stewart of the Twilight Saga. Yeah. I was she... always Team Jacob myself. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, I think she's. I think that Hollywood 
didn't take her as seriously because of those films. Yeah. That's my sense of it. I don't know. I'm not. And it is hard to, I mean, maybe it wasn't for you all, but it was hard for me to, for, for me to divorce her as Kristen Stewart, even though she does, her look is very plain and, and ordinary. It's still like, she just has that star quality that sort of like, you're like, you you don't belong here though. You you gotta go. It yeah. feels like that. And I, I don't know if, yeah. I mean, obviously that's oh, yeah. a lot of projection, a lot of movie yeah. watching and um, well, yeah. It's interesting like in, in that context because so she shows up in the classroom in, in the classroom I think is in Belfry, Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she is, she is an outsider from the big city right. of Livingston, <laughs> right. which is kind of comical on its own that yeah. it's like, oh yeah, she, she's like to, to this small town community. She is like a city person, right. but Livingston is like this tiny place the rest of the world mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> uh, yeah um so i have questions around this uh situation between jamie and beth and i'm wondering is jamie's behavior showing up to work uh showing up to um beth's beth's work um even though she's not enrolled more than once and bringing the horse and going to the diner with her but then later on going so far as to find her in livingston is this behavior okay or not? Like, what's your, like, put yourselves in uh, Beth's uh, position. I mean, I think if you asked Beth, he was, he was, she was definitely a little unnerved by that, maybe, which is why she, like, pulled back toward the end and looked for somebody else to take over these classes. So, I mean, but it's, it's so open, open-ended, like, everything in the movie like that's not the point the the point is that you're trying to experience i at least i think that's the point i don't want to speak for kelly reichardt and what the point was but whether it's okay or it's not okay like she's not harming anybody she's obviously somebody that is searching or looking for some meaningful connection in this landscape that just doesn't give her that and she's working on this farm very solitary type of job and you can project so many things onto her character like you know is is she uh um, in love with her or is she just looking for a companion or is she sort of like enamored by this stranger who seems exotic and is a lawyer and that's not something that she's ever seen or an example of a woman that she's been close to so it's like there's so many things that whether she's talking her or not it's like almost besides the point and and it's not like she doesn't know right from wrong because at the end when when beth's character like lets her know that i mean she doesn't because this is a kelly reichardt movie so nobody says anything directly you just kind of read it on people's faces and through their actions when she realizes that beth is obviously uncomfortable with her being there she just sort of like pulls back and she's sad but she's like okay i'm gonna go I feel like if she had some more nefarious, like she was stalking her and maybe she would have taken some action, but her, her intentions were pretty innocent. Yeah. And, and that's a reflection of who she is as a character. You know, she's, she's somebody who spends a lot of time alone and she doesn't really have good social cues, I would say. So she wouldn't 
I don't, if you asked her, I, I, I think she would be confused by that question. She's like, what do you mean? She would probably say like, I'm just in this class because I'm bored and I like this person, you know? Do you think, um, Flint, her horse was pretty, uh, excited about coming to the big, coming to, coming to town to hang out with, uh, another person or? I don't know. Obviously the horse was known because somebody was feeding it in the back of the restaurant. They oh, recognized yeah, the horse. Right. They're like, is that your horse? Yeah, is your truck broken? <laughs> um, does this director typically have animals in her movies? I think yes. she does. I was really yeah. fascinated by that. Yeah. So if you see in the credits, the movie mm-hmm. is dedicated to Lucy, who is the, the director's dog, yeah. who was in the previous two films that she had made. Was it? Is that right? Previous two films, Wendy um, and Lucy, and what, was it also Meek's Cutoff, or was it a different yeah, I one? Know. I don't know if it was an Old Joy, but that was just before yeah. Wendy and Lucy. Night Night Moves. Night Moves, yeah. yeah. That's the eco terrorist yeah. film. But and uh, she likes she likes the dogs. Yeah, she likes the dog. Her dog. So Laura, um, the lawyer, her she has a dog it's a black lab which is a very montana dog that dog was very nice yeah. there's also a corgi oh the corgi the corgi is amazing the corgi is amazing montana has a lot That's of Jamie's corgis dog. yeah corgis are great dogs very cute i, know, I have also know they're, they're kind of aggressive too they're uh cattle dogs yeah those yeah um i've got some thoughts on the stalker situation go for it i want to hear everything cool. so uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the the stories are all taken from short stories by Miley Malloy, um, and in the short story that the Lily Gladstone, Kristen Stewart piece is based on, which is called Travis B. Um, the the Lily Gladstone character is actually a male, um, which has a totally different vibe. I mean, it, it's, it's not totally different. It, like the, the, the overall sense is pretty similar in terms of like shy, lonely, awkward, and just like, maybe if I hang around long enough, something will happen. Um, but because he's a man like that, you know, like sticking around after class, showing up at her work, four hours away. I think in the book, it's actually like eight hours away. It just has a different, it it hits a little differently when it's like some, some dude just showed up at your doorstep. Um, so that's interesting. And I think that women, women don't like that. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in some, some films it comes off as like this grand romantic gesture, (laughs) In the but, 80s, but, it definitely right. did. But there's a fine line between <laughs> yeah. stalking and courting somebody. I feel like stalking yeah. is when you're just observing somebody but never making attempts to approach them or make yourself known. If I was just sitting in the car on the street watching you through a window doing stuff in your house, that's definitely stalking. But that if sounds I like, very specific, what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hypothetically. I promise, Josh, yeah. I will never do this to Hypothetically, if you didn't have curtains on your front window yeah. and Daniel was sitting on the street watching. But it could also be as simple as what the lines that she utters at the end where she's like, you know, I didn't think about it too much. I just got in the truck and started driving because I knew that if I didn't do that, I probably would have never seen you again. And yeah. and at that moment, like that, that overrode everything else. Like she just wanted to see her and 
she wasn't thinking about whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. And within five minutes, she realized that it was probably yeah. the wrong thing to do. Yeah, I think it seems like Wright Clark made the right decision to make it a woman so For that sure. that sort of element of danger just wasn't part of the narrative. Um, because with that, you'd spend too much time being like, is this going to be a horror film? Like, what is mm -hmm. the, the suspense would have been a little bit more intense. But I mm -hmm. think we've all done those things yeah. where it's like you take a chance and then you go, whoa, I maybe that wasn't the right move. And maybe it's not driving four hours away, but maybe sometimes it is. And you learn. And maybe, you know, Jamie will now go, oh, well, I'm not going to drive that far next time unless I just iron it out with the person using my words. I, yeah. honest, I honestly felt... I can relate to that. I mean, when you get excited about the person, you just want to place yourself in the same space or situation right. where they're going to be. Like, mm -hmm. how many times have you gone to a bar or a club or a party or because mm -hmm. you knew somebody was going <laughs> right. to be there that you were, you know, keen on? That's where that term, fancy running into you. It's <laughs> here. Yeah, it's a fine balance. Perhaps if Jamie talking. had said that. Yeah. And people now call like, like, what's the, now when we live in a digital age and digital stalking is like 100% easy, like there are no yeah. consequences almost like, and you're never going to get caught. Like the lines are even blurring even more, you know, because plenty of people do stalking now. It's just digital. So it's not as, there's not that element of like danger or immediate harm or Right. People I mean, just don't see it as stalking anymore, but you could be stalking somebody online just as well. You know, it's. I didn't mean to get us into the stalking. Hole. I know. <laughs> uh, next, and I, I next agree. Week, I join agree us with for you. Yeah. the movie stalking. It's my fault. Totally. Daniel, Can we talk about I was going to go for stalker. <laughs> There's a movie called Stalker. We're, we new rule for the rest of the podcast no more stalking talk. Um, it, yeah. I'm just joking. Daniel, was there a scene that stood out to you? Uh, there are several scenes, but again, this is not the kind of movie that like there's a one scene that like really stands out because it's pretty even. And that's sort of like a, a characteristic of Kelly Reichardt's movies. They, they're very evenly paced. Some people call them slow, but, you know, the story requires that her style requires that she has a very unique cinematic language that just takes its time to develop and it allows you space to like really think and one of the scenes that really started me thinking and gave me an insight into Jamie's character was um, so uh, she has gone to this class and she hung out with Beth a couple of times I think well no actually the first time they went to the diner the Beth asked her if there's anything good to eat in town and she took her to this diner and she's eating a burger and Jamie didn't order anything and several times she gets an opportunity to eat something. The, the, the server comes over and asks her if she mm -hmm. wants anything and she declines. And then um, Beth's character, uh, or Beth, asks her if she wants half of her burger. And she's like, no, thank you. <laughs> and then as soon as Beth leaves, she goes to a gas station yeah. <laughs> and gets like a burger out of a vending machine yeah. and is like eating it with gusto in her truck. Yeah. And I was just like, this is such a, like Kelly Reichard, she's, she's a master of this kind of stuff. It's so subtle. It, it, it passes you by like in a blink, you know, but it, 
it's just like a whole universe opens up there of like what is this all about why didn't she eat like there's so many questions you know it's like is she shy to eat in front of her or I don't know I mean but it was just one of those things that stuck with me <clears throat> and then the second scene that I really like is the one that I think summarizes like almost like Kelly Reichardt's can I have two scenes absolutely awesome <laughs> thank you're you you're on fire <laughs> The second scene is the one that comes toward the end of the movie. And to me, it sort of like uh, uh, summarizes entire Kelly Reichardt's like approach to filmmaking, which is when um, Laura Dern's character goes to visit. Um, I think his name is Fuller. The, Fuller. Her, her, Fuller. Yeah, her client. Uh, who's name. now in prison uh, because he um, did something crazy. He... Um, I don't know if he abducted somebody or he held them against their will in a he, shopping mall and there was this whole like police intervention. Anyway, he's in prison and she comes to visit him after several months and she brought him milkshakes, uh, I'm assuming at his request because it, it's we are made aware that he's writing letters to her. So she brought two milkshakes and he takes one and he's eating it and he asks her if, he, if she got his letter. And... Uh, she says that she did, but like she didn't have the time to respond and like gives him some like half-assed excuse. Um, and he tells her, which I think uh, is like a summary of Kelly Reichardt's approach to filmmaking is that, you know, all you have to do, it doesn't have to be a tome, like just write anything, like write how your day was like, you know, what were you thinking about and just put it in the mail and it makes so much difference. And it's just like, I was like thinking like, this is what this movie's about. It's not a tome. It's not some like complex, insightful, you know, explanation of like human condition or some beautiful prose. It's just a little insight into like a tiny little piece of human condition. Um, but it means a lot if you receive it in a way that it was intended. And if you're somebody who's in prison and you're starving for any sort of like human communication, that just might be the perfect thing for you. Um, and I think Kelly Reichardt's movies are like that. Like you definitely need to see them in a certain state of mind. And if you approach them in that way, they can just be like these tiny little masterpieces that just stay with you. Um, so anyway, those are my two scenes. If you don't mind, I, I want to back up to your first scene. Yeah. Um, back up. Beep, beep, beep. You ever eaten a sandwich out of a gas station no, like that? No, I have never eaten anything out of a machine like that. A sandwich kind. I mean, I've eaten things out of a machine, but not sandwiches. Fair enough. Anybody? Courtney, never. Lauren? You have? Oh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that, that particular kind of sandwich is uh, the brand Deli Express. And in high school, my best friend's dad uh, drove a Deli Express truck around to different gas stations <laughs> distributing those sandwiches. And he'd also pull the old ones off the shelf when they expired. Um, and so he would just come home with boxes full of expired sandwiches. And they're like, eh, this is still pretty good. It, it just technically has expired. And so there was at least a year where I ate so many Deli Express sandwiches. I think I've only ever bought one, but I've eaten Hundreds. Does anything in the vending machine ever expire? <laughs> like it's maybe it's not as fresh, but I don't think it ever goes bad. Touche. <laughs> I recently, uh, I think it was like two weeks ago, I actually had a gas station, sa gas station sandwich. Um, 
I don't know what was happening with me. I just got really hungry and I was at a gas station. <laughs> and I guess that's how people buy sandwiches at gas stations. It's yeah. weird. And it was a turkey and cheese sandwich, uh, no mayonnaise. Um, and I was just eating this thing as I was crossing uh, the street. And I'm like, I'm an animal. Like I felt like <laughs> ravenous and I'm tearing up. It was wild. It was really, uh, yeah, it was good. Actually, I'll go I mean, to that. back up, I have eaten sandwiches from gas stations, just not from a vending machine. Fair enough. I never have. Yeah. I do not like mayonnaise, so I just assume mm. every sandwich in the world has mayonnaise. Oh, tell, I I, tell us more about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. I'd... I don't like condiments at all. Wow. The sandwiches last longer if you don't put any condiments on them. For sure. So Maybe they grocery don't. store... Gas station sandwiches. That's yeah, they're, they're actually. Now I can't have gluten, so I, I don't. I don't want to start see. listing off condiments, but so I'm just going to say ketchup single... is the worst. Fair oh, sauerkraut. Okay. Sauerkraut. Mm. That's not a condiment. That's not a condiment. I mean, I mean sauce. sauces. Saucy condiments. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. That's okay. fair. Relish. Huh? Relish. Uh, I don't like sweet relish, but I can do a dill relish, but not on a. I don't like hot dogs or hamburgers, so I don't know. I just, yeah. I guess an American-type food is not for me. Um, well, Co I mean, yeah. Courtney, what's your take on her not eating in front of... Oh, yeah, I had so many thoughts about that as well. And, like, the pleasure she sort of gets from it when she gets into the car, it's like a bit of a release. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if it's just from... Like, because... Part of it is that I think Kristen Stewart, whether she is trying to look not beautiful, she's still wildly beautiful. I mean, I and you know she's she's small and 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 just like sort of more ideal, an ideal idea of femininity. And I don't know if it's just like Lily Gladstone's like I cannot bring myself to like consume something in front of this person who looks like this. Um, and that might just be a projection too, but it did feel like it was related a bit to that. And I know you like, uh, yeah, it, and it also goes to show that like those kinds of issues with food don't just hit people who are consuming media all the time. It's kind of more universal, um, because she lives on a ranch and she still obviously has some issues surrounding food. I don't know if it's like having brothers who picked on her mm -hmm. or, you know, Lot, it could be a lot of different issues, but that seemed really struck me as well. I thought that she was the most fascinating of the characters, and I don't know if yeah. it's because she's risen so high to prominence in film at this point, right. and the fact that she's from Montana. Um, so she just automatically had a spotlight on her the whole time right. I watched it. I'm just referring. She's also the most Jamie. subtle one. Like yeah. She says so little, but I don't know. There's something about her face or or just the way she occupies space the way yeah. she carries herself that like just speaks volumes and that scene like really stood out to me one of the interpretations i had was that she's so enamored with beth that she's almost like feeding herself with beth's beauty mm -hmm. and like yeah. amazement like she's not thinking of food right. like it's a different kind of food it's like yeah. a food that's like nurturing her soul almost just being in the presence of this person who is so different than what she's used mm -hmm. to which i think is the reason why she went to the class in the first place because we see her being bored at home watching tv which is probably her routine yeah. and for some reason i was like why did she do this like for some reason she decides to just get in the truck in the 
late at night and like drives herself to a school like how did she even learn about this <laughs> i had so many questions yeah. but it's just like it's one of those things it doesn't matter so like the way i interpreted that is like she's finally satiating this appetite whatever appetite she had for some like social interaction that she's not thinking it's like when you go out like skateboarding and you can do it for like eight hours and you're not thinking of food because you're trying to learn this trick mm -hmm. and that's just feeding you and then when you're done when like beth leaves she's like oh i'm starving right. now because this <laughs> thing that was feeding me is gone and my yeah. stomach's empty and i need to eat and i just need to eat whatever is like the first thing that yeah. i can grab so that makes anyway. sense yeah. Maybe I over intellectualized it. No, I, I actually totally I agree it. with this thought. I've never had it <laughs> in my life. That was amazing. Uh, Lauren, before we get to your scene, um, would you bring a chocolate shake to a guy who took you hostage in a hostage situation? Or would you never talk to him again? I'd bring chocolate and vanilla because who knows which way he flies. That's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> so, Lauren, what, what was the scene that stood out to you? Or scenes, I guess that's what we're doing now. Yeah. We're doing... Uh... Uh, we, we, we've got free reign to do multiple now. Wow. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, this is going to be great. Buckle up. Uh, so funny you should ask about the milkshakes, because that actually was one of, one of my favorites. Um, and when I was watching that, I was like thinking, oh, this this must be like the, the piece that Kelly Riker added to kind of like the so there's like the coda at the end where we revisit each of the three stories and i was like oh kelly reichert must have like added this uh onto the stories to kind of like tie things up a little bit um but i went back and read the stories that these are based on um and so much of these are like the, like the dialogue is word for word from the books from from the short stories that miley malloy wrote um but i yeah i really enjoyed this last bit where Laura Dern visits uh, Fuller at the prison, and there's just like there's a a different sort of comedy in that scene that I think I was craving at the end of the movie, um, where he he starts going off about how his wife left him and had a pen pal with a guy who was in prison, and then he got furloughed and he was out of prison and she went and moved in with him and he's like well what's wrong with me i'm a guy in prison and, <laughs> and it was just like so so kind of like off the wall kind of screwball like it it, it made me like that character more yeah. uh and it was, yeah it was just fun and i was like yeah I, I, like this is this is the fun side of this piece of the story like yeah, just, just hanging out in the prison lunchroom or whatever. Do you think there's a significance to chocolate and vanilla shakes? I know that Fuller took vanilla and she did the chocolate, so is there... Hmm. I mean, he, he seems like a pretty vanilla guy. Yeah, fair enough. What was another yeah. scene that hit you? Um, I just had a little piece that I loved. Uh, like, in, in addition to... I'm, I'm just copying Daniel, basically. Cool. Uh, in, <laughs> That's... Back back in the diner, in, in addition to like the Deli Express thing, the, there's just this moment that I loved from Kristen Stewart where she's eating her burger and she dabs her mouth with her napkin, but her napkin is still wrapped around the silverware. And so she just picks up the like fork spoon knife and napkin and dabs her mouth with it. And I was just like, 
I don't know where that came from, but I loved it. <laughs> That's amazing. Nice yeah. catch. Thanks. I um, thought, oh, go ahead. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. And a little fun fact about the location where that diner is. Uh, it's on the edge of Livingston. And there's another scene in the movie Wildlife, directed by Paul Dano, that is shot in that exact same diner. Oh, but, right. it, yeah. but it looks wow. like yep. the 1960s. Wow. Yeah, same place. Very cool. It's pretty incredible. Livingston. It's a good place quite a for place. film and movies. Yeah. So windy. So windy. So mm-hmm. windy. Doing uh, sound in that town is probably hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where was the sound guy? I did a great uh, job. The, the Criterion Collection DVD of Certain Women has uh, a few short interviews, including one with Kelly Reichert, and she mentions that she knew that uh like because the the trains so there's there like a train depot in town so in, in addition to the wind there's also trains all the time and she said like i knew going into this like if we're going to film here like there has train sounds train. yeah that, that's just going to be part of the sound design because yeah. we can't not have it um yeah and, and i it, thought it was an interesting device that ties all of those stories into like it puts them into a place because you hear it in every single story like when beth and jamie are sitting in the diner you hear it you, it's at the beginning of the movie so it's just sort of creating this sense of like all these people are coexisting in this same spot and all these stories are happening mm-hmm. simultaneously um you know there's cheating going on all of these characters are connected somehow mm-hmm. but I, what i was going to say earlier is what i found interesting is that most reviews that i've read it are talking about like stories of three women and i'm like there's stories of four women because beth is also mm-hmm. a character and her story is also uh, in some ways even more expanded on than james because we don't know much about jamie other than she works on a ranch a different kind of ranch deluxe uh that's a plug-in for our first episode rancho deluxe the best episode the best episode <laughs> after this, this is one. where we hit after our peak. this one we hit our this peak our and then it's all downhill yeah um but anyway yeah i mean beth beth's character has just a uh, as important of a story as the other three characters because she talks about like she almost went into business of selling shoes um and her story is also a very like interesting take on like feminism and female empowerment and like you know this woman trying to make something of herself in a in a place that's maybe not always like hospitable to that mm-hmm. not at all um you know it's fascinating about our conversation about scenes right now that none of us are touching on albert we're not touching on um yeah gina ryan albert guthrie we did talk about the corgi, though. There uh, is a scene that I like with Michelle Williams. With, I want to uh, hear it. Please give it to me. Well, actually, Lauren, were, did you have more scenes? I'm sorry. I mean, I, you got I could one go more. on for hours. You, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good. Th- th- those are the moments I, that I okay. liked. Thank you. Great. It's, it's the scene where she feeds everybody, and then she goes outside and has a quiet moment yeah. for herself, and she lights the cigarette and gets, like, tremendous pleasure out yeah. of it. And, and you, it's sort of like the hamburger scene where, you know, she's fully in service of her family and these men that are, fr- I'm assuming, friends of her husband that are there to, like, help them build a house. But she first satisfies their needs 
and in some way she probably gets pleasure out of that even though the movie doesn't really show that it, it's almost like she's annoyed that she has to do everything around here um, but it seems like she's more annoyed with her husband because she is probably understanding that he's cheating on her which is never like made obvious but we can yeah. kind of sense it that their marriage is shaky maybe because she suspects something can but we? then she goes and like lights the cigarette and it's like it's it that moment she owns it like she just owns this moment that's just for her and nobody else right. and you almost kind of get the sense that she's doing this and like it's her little secret maybe her husband doesn't know that she smokes or or even us as an audience we never see her smoke and before. she's staring at the sandstone right yep, like exactly she's just like i yeah. did it yep yeah full have, control full control yeah. yeah like these people just think that you know and I, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, Courtney, but I am. Um, what is going on with Gina? What's yeah. going on with Albert? What is happening between these two people? Yeah, well, I I'm think not I mean, picking up am I wrong it. to think that Gina's like somebody from California who, I mean, like who is just like, I want, we're making our second home. We're kind of glamping here, like very I mean, that's a type of person that currently is, there's a lot of those people now mm. here in Montana. And in 2016, it feels like it wasn't quite as prominent, but I recognized her more this time as mm. a person who is here. Uh, and so Albert is aware of this? Is that? Oh, no, happening? I don't think Albert knows. I don't even know if he sees her. Like he, he just sees through her. He only really speaks with Ryan. And so Albert is Albert is the older, older guy yeah. who has the sandstone that Michelle Williams' character is trying to acquire yeah. or buy. Yeah, yeah, Gina. I, I didn't, I didn't mention Gina. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't mention Albert by name, but yeah. So, um, am I to understand? So, so Gina and Albert of of different generations. Albert's lived on that land since '66, is my guess from his conversation mm -hmm. with her. So he's an old school Livingston person. Um, his generation, like I think about the boomer generation, probably not great towards ladies yeah. is my guess. I mean, I know a lot of them have progressed. I don't mean to, it's not a monolith, right? Right. Um, not but, all men. But Al Albert, yeah, he definitely acknowledges Ryan a heck of a lot more yeah. and like wants to talk to the man about, and she's, she's like, um, the, here's my problem. I could I, I couldn't understand. Is she being pushy with the sandstone, or I, what is going on? Like, it's just like this 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 uh, need for control over this particular thing, right? Like, I mean, that's how I interpreted it anyway. Is like she just needs her, her her kid is not respecting her. Her husband is in her eyes a useless person at least in the scenes we see of mm -hmm. him and apparently not also not faithful and i think she's just like i need to get a win but it comes off in this somewhat abrasive way but she keeps talking and talking and he just doesn't hear her and then she says something i thought was so interesting which was i just want it to be authentic and i'm i think that struck i mean it struck it struck me and i don't know if it struck albert as like wait a second that's not what authenticity is. But I might have just been reading that on his face. I think he just doesn't understand her at all. And, right. And, and 
not all of it has to be for nefarious reasons because he's not like he's anti-feminism or anything like that it just might be that he's an old guy yeah. who's used to dealing with people that look like um her husband i forget what his name ryan ryan like he looks the part of somebody that albert has probably dealt with his entire life so it's a it's a natural way for him to like address him because that is who you address like not everything is some deeply thought out sexism with intention like a lot of it happens unintentionally which is why we've been spending the last five years trying to correct those and educate people that like being a racist or sexist doesn't just mean i hate women or i hate you know people of color you do so many things unintentionally that you're not even aware of that can be interpreted as racism and you should know or sexism in this case and you know the more you educate yourself about how you come off and how other people might get hurt and interpret your behavior the better off you are so uh, but gina to me just to kind of touch on that to me she's sort of like I, I see all four of these characters as having that hunger or appetite for something. Yeah. Uh, she maybe has a hunger for control and authenticity of some kind mm-hmm. that gives her uh, a feeling of accomplishment. Jamie has uh, a hunger for social connection with somebody like a meaningful social connection, not just like she obviously has a connection with her animals and her work but she's looking for something else and Laura, she is so tired of like you know, doing all the right things and excelling and becoming a lawyer, but still not having that respect right. that she wants from, you know. So it's it's sort of like that's kind of like a, a through line for me for all of these characters. So do you think Beth is craving upward mobility? What do you think Beth She kind of gives it to us. She says that, you know, she yeah. was supposed to be following in the footsteps of her mom and yeah. like, you know, and, and she just, I think she's just somebody who wants more out yeah. of life mm-hmm. selling um, shoes is the best job that somebody in her family is yeah, supposed so to be able I don't to think have. she really knows what she wants yeah. but she knows she wants more than right. what life is in Livingston mm-hmm. well, what do you guys think Ryan wants what's his thing besides I mean you know <laughs> he wants Laura Dern yeah, and he kind of doesn't even, he like, that was like a, I mean yeah. not that I guess we saw them post postcoital but like Hmm. It didn't have a lot of fire to it. No. Well, I'm pretty sure you know, that like, he's dumping her on the phone right, when, right, right. when Fuller gets into the yeah. car with her. So yeah. I'm so glad you're bringing this up yeah. because there's an interesting exchange. You're talking about the fire between him and Laura. She's, she says, is this color peach? And he yep. says, I think it's taupe. 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 We, we call it taupe. We call it taupe. <laughs> yeah. And that's it, though. He's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, see you later. Yeah. You know, right. So well, it's it's yeah. that typical like I don't know if it falls into like mansplaining category, but it's like oh you know it can be peach because we call and it's like who's yeah. this we like let me correct you you know, mm. um, yeah. And he's I mean he's he's just a he could also be interpreted as like slacker like you see him how he's with his buddies they're watching football in a tent, and she's serving them sandwiches and then this is the part that I was just like, he says the line that you hear all the time where it's like, oh, just sit down. You don't have to work. But they're all like glad to have these sandwiches and somebody had to make them. I feel like you know? I know but Ryan. It's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, we all know Ryan. Yeah, I you think. guys know Ryan. It's like, right? And that actor has been in a lot of yeah. 90s movies as a slacker. So I don't know if that was like, that's a really clever so, 
you know way to go yeah. like hey you do know this guy like he's yeah been that he's, character. he's like buddy buddy with everybody you know yeah. and he, including his daughter which you know pisses off um his wife because she's like why do you always have yeah. to make me a bad person because he 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 just wants to be buddies with everybody yeah. he wants everything to be cool and easy and nice right. and i don't understand why gina needs to hide her smoking yeah i, I don't also, think it's a sin to go for a run and have a smoke i also That's like me. i'm like did she actually run or was she just walking the whole yeah, time probably wrong yeah. Probably. yeah like she was like i'm putting on my workout gear i'm just yeah. gonna walk slowly and i'm gonna smoke right and yeah. is it is it about exercise or is it about like getting some air you know? right i like, think like, it's is, for, yeah. is, is she getting some space from her family yeah, i think so yeah so well what's up with the uh, guthrie their daughter why does she not like her mom what do you what's your guys take on well, that I, I, don't, I shouldn't speak to that Courtney I would love to yeah, Courtney. Uh, I think it's just like well also they're in really close quarters her mom she's a teenage girl and she obviously has no real control over her own schedule like she's like mom you said I could have Sunday to myself and she's just being dragged along on the sandstone journey being in a yurt with your family like out in the wilderness that sounds cool when you're young but like when you're a teenager, you just, yeah. you want to, you need social interaction. You want your peers around or your computer or what, you know. Or not your parents. Or not your parents. So I think it's just like, you know, probably they'll be fine. Guthrie will, it's quite a name. Guthrie will grow up. I mean, they're priv she's privileged, right? Yeah, and, sure. You know. You think her parents are going to make it? Or is it going to be one of those situations where like, my parents are married. They probably shouldn't have been situation. Two Christmases. Yeah, true. Right. <laughs> right. But see, this is Kelly Reichardt's genius, really. Yeah. Like, now that you guys are talking about her, I'm realizing that she might be the fifth woman, a young woman. Right, right, right. There's woman, Guthrie. Because yeah. that is also <laughs> a female experience of a certain yeah, kind. Yeah. And it's just these broad brushstrokes yeah. that say so much. Like, she yeah. has maybe three lines in the movie, but you get... We could have a whole conversation about Guthrie yeah. just from those three lines because we, we feel like we know this character and, and it's, yeah, it's really master, masterful and, and you really have to give these movies some time to like think about all these things because it definitely doesn't hit you right away in a way some movies hit you. Like you have yeah. to give it time. And mm -hmm. do we spend the least amount of time with Laura Dern's character? Is that segment the, the shortest or is it Michelle Williams? I think Michelle Williams is probably shorter. That story is yeah. probably the broadest, like sketched out one. Like, yeah. Then. Was there a particular um, segment that you liked the most, Courtney? That where you like this felt whole to me. I think I mean the Lily Gladstone, Kristen Stewart, just because I I, I think just this the it's so crazy to say the superior. Uh, acting, the acting of Lily Gladstone is just so powerful. And I thought the Michelle Williams section was maybe the weakest. Mm. Um, what did you think of that shot on the front of Lily Gladstone's truck? I don't know if you remember, it's looking into her yeah. windshield as she's driving away from Kristen Stewart. Right. They, oh my God. That everything you see on her face, there's 50 emotions. I mean, yeah. incredible. I mean, how, I, how? I can't even make one expression. I thought that was awesome, gutsy filmmaking. Like that must have been three minutes, maybe yeah. four minutes of just that shot. I'm like, really? It, I mean, that's there, incredible. That's a that's a star making 
bit of filmmaking yeah. or acting from Lily Gladstone, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I think mine was uh, Laura Dern's situation. I think only because there's a certain amount of comical yeah. aspect to it, which leads me to this oh, question. Right. The guy, the, the king, the potential king. Oh, yeah. I oh. forgot about him. If oh, 14 people die, I'll right. be the king. Right, <laughs> exactly. And I love the end when he says, well, if those 14 people die... Yeah. You're going to give me a job when yeah. you're king. Amatwana is the guy's name. Amatwana. He was a Samoan Samoan king. Yeah. yeah. AKA Big Man. Right. Is Big Man in the book? In the story? Yeah. Okay. So that, that, whole, that whole dialogue about 14 people dying is all in there. The book. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm so glad we're talking about this because a question I had while I was watching it was. Is it okay to send a civilian into a hostage situation? I was wondering. About yeah, it does. It, there this, was a... this is like definitely a small town, Montana. Yeah. Like, and the of... one guy was like, "We should go in there," and the other guy's like, "She's got this. She's, it's fine. She's it's gonna fine. be fine. She's fine." But it's also what the, the teachers, uh, when uh, Beth comes to the school for the first time, and you know, she does what anybody would do. It's like, why don't we just go around and introduce ourselves? And they just dismiss her. They're like, "We know, we know each other." There's yeah. no need. Yeah. And that's no. it. Like, it just ends. And it's oh, you're just talking like about a... the casualness of small town yeah. and, like, yeah. sending somebody how, into, into how, a well, hostage. It's not, it's not, like, yeah, casualness, but also, like, informality. And, you know, this is the way we've done things. We don't need somebody telling us how to do things. Like, it'll be fine. Um, probably because they never had anything escalate to the level of, like, 100 people dying. So, yeah. you know... When you look at why these procedures were instituted in the first place in big cities is because <laughs> probably some things went wrong and we learned from it and then we don't send civilians anymore. But I'm sure way back in the day, they they didn't really, I mean, in small mm. towns, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? A we lot. know this guy. She's got really... a Kevlar jacket. Yeah, yeah, we'll give her a jacket. And maybe, I mean... Maybe they just know Fuller is not a good criminal. I mean, yeah. he was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And then she's just like, he's run out back. I mean, like, it, that was very and, con You're right. That is the one An interesting that scene there was uh, while Fuller was um, inside, uh, we see the, two, the sheriff and another deputy, I'm assuming. Like, they're sitting in the car, and the sheriff is actually telling him how amazing of a carpenter fooler is he's oh, like right. yeah. he's like oh you man you should have yeah. seen him like he remodeled my office and you cannot tell where the old yeah. wood ends and the new wood begins yeah. <laughs> yeah. i was like it's a great line yeah the sheriff gets yeah. sheriff gets um i'm so glad we're talking about fuller that brings me to one of my favorite scenes was um when fuller is in billings laura's in her own car fuller gets angry at his ride back to Livingston and you see him like standing at the car yelling vulgarity at his driver and then walking over to Laura's car and saying I need a ride from you and he gets in the car with her and on that ride he loses it yeah. and it's not just being aggressive he actually just cries mm -hmm. and says I can't believe how sad my life has become and I absolutely love that part because a lot it really uh, got a lot of things going for me where Laura's not his mom, you know, right. and um, there was just a lot there that was wonderful. And there was this great song that came on the radio and I have no idea what it was, but, and it's raining out and uh, yeah. this guy just loses it. And like, actually in that scene, my hope for him was that was what he needed. 
but the hostage situation is what he needed. Yeah. So, and now he's in prison. Right. But and he seemed reasonably happy. Yeah. Right. And that that was like an interesting subtext of the whole thing is like he, so he had an injury at work and hasn't been able to like go back to work and he's been going kind of stir crazy and he like can't he can't read books because his vision is bad and he can't like do his work and he's driving his wife nuts he's driving himself nuts and in prison like someone else decides what his life is like he doesn't have choices he doesn't have free time it's just like some somebody else is in charge of him and i think that maybe that maybe that is a happy ending for him yeah. yeah, it could also be a commentary. I mean, a slight or a subtle one on how men deal with, you know, life disappointments and frustrations and how women do, because it's such a typical thing for a man like, oh, he's been dealt a bad card mm-hmm. or screwed. And like the first thing that he thinks of, I should just go and kill everybody. That's right, the only right, thing right. that's left. And and you you watch these women struggle through their, you know, mm-hmm. disappointments mm-hmm. and and. <laughs> at no point would you expect of them to do something like this We just it's sort of a sad commentary in our society how we're so used to seeing men in these roles of like it's it's not surprising for us the way the movie starts it like he did that but if like imagine if like you know uh any one of the female characters like if uh jamie abducted beth like right. if that was the first scene you would be like what is yeah. going on? you know mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect that like i never at any moment thought even though we talked about stalking I never thought that she would like do something violent. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But from Fuller, it's almost like comical. He's just this like idiot who doesn't really know what he's doing, but still he's resorting to violence that can hurt real people. Right. And he doesn't, I don't think he literally hurts anybody, but no. but in the car, he, he says like, I guess the only thing left for me to do is get a yeah. gun and shoot everyone. Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. And and I feel like yeah. a lot yeah. of males have been conditioned to think that way, too. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily coming from them. It's just like he re- literally can't see any other possibility but, like, mm-hmm. killing. It's like, how do we get to that point where, I don't know. Anyway, don't know. it was just an interesting contrast to, like, set the movie off. Like, mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get to the Montananess of this movie, were there any other things you want to say about the scenes? I wanted movie? to hear your guys' take on certain women. How did you interpret that title? Oh, did you see, you watched the Criterion thing, so we know what the original title was, okay. which is fantastic. You, yeah, you May I just say guess. it? Oh, <laughs> yes, can just you guess? guess? No, no, it's impossible. It's yeah. amazing, can I say right. it? It was originally called Livingston Blows. Wow. And and she was going to keep that. I mean, that was really the studio who was like, uh-uh, absolutely not. We're not giving a porno title to this film. But even yeah. that is like, it can be interpreted in literally well, yeah. blows well, yeah. with the wind. Right. And yeah. it also blows as a you know, right, right, like right. slang so of like, it yeah. sucks. Yeah, so it, it, it's a joke, obviously. Um, so at, at the diner where they eat, they have a bunch of like t-shirts that they sell in the real diner. They have t-shirts that say Livingston blows because it's so windy, yep. and, yeah. and so it's like it, it totally it's makes sense. marketing thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she she just adopted that as like the the working title for the longest time, and yeah, the, the studio made her change it. And then she was interested in using uh, the title of one of the Maley Malloy books, which is called Half in Love. And then apparently Maley Malloy was looking into, can I give her the rights to this title? Um, and meanwhile. She decided to go with certain women. Um, 
So that's the background. Yeah. But what's it mean? That's such a great Montana background too. Like, <laughs> it blows because I feel like Montana loves a good like word pun. Like it's yeah. just, it's a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but to me, I mean, even certain women could be categorized as like almost like an inside joke because these women are not certain about anything. Right. So <laughs> then I was like, is it just you know certain women do is it is it that yeah. type of certain or is it like that's how i certain, that's how i took yeah. it like yeah. certain types yeah. of women certain right women. i like the idea of like these you're right these women are not very certain i mean like right. except michelle williams is certain about the sandstone yeah. but she's not certain about her husband no or, or her kid or, or kid or right. uh, yeah yeah um, it's interesting it's it, a great title it is it's it's got a nice ambiguity and it's it mirrors the content of the film oh absolutely yeah. yeah and i think kelly reichardt does have that sense of humor that's just not obvious right. and it's kind of like spread throughout all of her films just like tiny little touches and she's from oregon right yeah oregon's like Montana, well she lives in Portland Ocean. right now yeah. but i don't know if she's from I, there i went to the same college as her school of the museum of fine arts I, I then moved on to Parsons, but my first school is School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. I know she lived in New York for the longest time, yeah. and that's where she met, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the director, Todd Haynes. The, Todd, Todd Haynes, yeah. and he was sort of like her early mentor that like drew her to Portland when he moved there. Yeah, she was like, I want to say she was like art director or something on his film, Poison. Okay. Um, but, yeah. Um, I So, Kelly's first film was called River of Grass. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen that, but I, I want to say, is, is that, that set in Florida? That is Florida film. So for sure. I, I don't know. Because River of Grass is what people call Everglades. Uh, it, and she's it, originally it is, from Florida. I is think that so. correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She is, like, I think, from Tallahassee yeah. or Gainesville or yeah. Yeah, one of those two places. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for jogging my mind. <laughs> yeah, memory. I just looked at her Wikipedia and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Um, Oregon's not at all like Montana or like Montana? Is Oregon like Montana? Yeah, that's, not like yeah. Is it like Montana? A little. I think in some ways it is. Maybe. Depends where you go. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Right? Same. Yeah, but she, in the in the little blurb from Criterion, she was saying she was sick of Oregon landscapes and wanted something different. She felt like she'd shot out Oregon yeah. and needed another state yeah. and was drawn to the stories of Miley Malloy. And they actually first looked at Helena, where Miley Malloy's from and where her stories are mostly set. And then they didn't, like Helena didn't click with them, so they picked Livingston. I wonder if that had something to do with how hilly Helena is. You can't get those open mm -hmm. vistas that are so evocative of Montana. It's interesting being in Montana and watching a Montana movie. Oh, yeah. And you can't, I, at least for me, like I don't, I don't revel in the beauty of the landscapes because yeah. we we get to experience them so i go oh well you can just drive half an hour and see something like that yeah it takes that level or that 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 part of the movie aw away from me somehow mm -hmm. maybe that i'm alone we discussed that. that a little bit on on previous podcasts because yeah. i i have only been in montana for six years and i'm still pretty much amazed by right. the landscapes and they still do the trick for me and but, so it did in this movie as well i mean not as much anymore yeah. but i always try to remember how i felt when i saw anything i mean the reason i moved here was because obviously i was like partially influenced by those images and i think yeah. the reason why a lot of people move to places like oregon and montana mm -hmm. and 
is because it's an iconic landscape and it's evocative of of something it, yeah. it if you're seeking a change in your life a drama of some kind yeah. like the landscape is almost like a personification of that sort of like right. uh you know look at this place there's no way my life will be boring here there's always something to do you and know? It, it's clearly different from exactly from what i'm coming mm -hmm. from and then and then it's really like mind-blowing and amazing to like meet people here who have that every single day and and just don't see it the same way you see it and to be fair like i felt the same way in florida like people would come and be amazed by the beaches and you know like the beautiful weather and all the things that you know that florida that pe the reasons why people come to florida and i'm like what's the big deal it's just a bunch of sand and like a lot of water you know this is not some like millions you know years old mountain you know that <laughs> yeah. that has been here since the beginning you know this beach has been made by men like or you know women but probably men at some point it's not a natural beach but people yeah. are still like drawn to it because it it signifies something to them it signifies leisure relaxation like fun times you know we've all seen movies in the 80s where all the cool spring breaks happen in florida and you're definitely <laughs> gonna get laid and get some drugs and go to cool parties so are we talking about living since though no pause up okay cool <laughs> <laughs> i have to say the montananess of this movie is while we're on the subject um this movie uh the filming of livingston was so great they showed the yeah. buildings they showed it from above they showed it within the, the town. cinematography is gorgeous yeah. the cinematography yeah. is gorgeous this this is the perfect movie that fits the spirit of this podcast is that this movie is a montana yeah. movie at least from my perspective yep do you guys yeah. agree at all or yeah. Oh, yeah and it it i think it also like captures that feeling that like you know it's called a big sky state which gives you this feeling of openness and room to breed and like be whoever you want to be but then you're looking at these characters who feel very much trapped mm -hmm. even though they're in this big landscape and it seems like infinite possibilities but they feel so stuck uh, which is you know sort of like almost like an absurd situation but it, it is a reality for a lot of small towns in montana yeah absolutely what do you think um how are things going to turn out for gina down the road Courtney, what do you think? She gonna just keep on keeping on? She gonna move to Livingston full time after her daughter graduates high school? So yeah, she might not stay with Ryan. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think she'll pour all her dedication into. I wonder what her career is. I did. I was curious about. Well, whatever. Architect. Um, yeah, she she can just you know with the new influx of people coming in from different states, she'll be able to like have a career giving you know, Californians what they want in terms of house. She'll have a good career. She's Thanks. boss. She's, 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 she doesn't feel like she's in control to herself maybe, but she, she can, she's very powerful. Do you think um, Laura is going to find a good partner or do you think she's going to be solo? She's so caring. I think that's what the shake thing was about. Like bringing both she just didn't know what he would want, so she had two choices. That's such a touching thing to do. So I think she probably has bad taste in men and will struggle to find somebody who matches the kindness of her soul. Fair enough. Great. I think Jamie is going to have a really hard time finding anybody. Yeah. 
I think Beth is maybe going to self-destruct as well. I don't know. I just don't know if she can... I have high hopes for Beth. Okay. She needs to, I have high hopes she needs for... to speak more. More. She needs to be more honest about what she doesn't want from somebody. Agreed. She would move to Helena and run for office. Right. And then I she doesn't that. have to be truthful <laughs> at all. No. I like it. Um, and she, uh, what she, about She already uh, broke her family's daughter. curse. Guthrie? Uh, Guthrie. I think we discussed Guthrie's future. She's, uh, she's, she's going to be okay. She, but she's going to get into some trouble first. I yeah. think. You think so? I'm sure. I think yeah. so. She's got to rebel. I don't yeah. know. She's a teenager. She might get off scot-free. Yeah, that's true. And Ryan's definitely going to find a younger woman. Yeah. Yeah. What was your take on Ryan? Was he attractive? No, well, no. I'm just curious. I don't know. I know. No. I know when I find men attractive, but like I wasn't feeling it from him. And yeah, I was I like worry looking about... at Laura Dern. I was like, yeah. Mike. I know it's a movie, but I was like, yeah. Come on, man, really? Yeah. Like, is this? Yeah. I... Go ahead. I, I, I can't. I can't weigh their like compatibility or their like equity and attractiveness. But I did appreciate. You know, when when Laura Dern made this movie, I think she was probably just shy of fifty. Um, but she's presented in this like, like like we first see her in this bra. It's like this kind of like see-through thing, yeah. mm-hmm. and it, it's like I feel like it's a pretty sexy presentation of her. But it's also so casual, and I I just feel you know that when I saw that I was like, oh, this is this is not this is not the male gaze that yeah. this is made for. This is just like a woman who is like. Yeah. Uh, comfortable with herself and like yes she, she is she is trying to impress her lover or excite her lover but it was it was so casually presented and i just thought that was a really cool moment and and yeah. for this like woman who wasn't in her 20s wasn't wasn't like a hollywood starlet at that point in her life to, to just be like given this moment of confidence on screen, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. and Kelly Reichardt's movies, like the way she treats her characters, it's so judgment-free and um, humanistic. Mm-hmm. Like, they, it never feels like she's heavy-handed with, you know, portraying any one of her characters. It, it's just like whatever they do, it, it, their humanity is always, like, number one. You know, they're... There's no judgment. We all make mistakes. We all do things that are unexplainable, even to ourselves sometimes. So it's like she's just presenting these people the way they are. And then it's on us to like really draw on our own experience and try to interpret these people, which is like the best you can do in your real life and with movies as well. Like, you know, you don't have meeting people on the street or just meeting people in general life. You don't have all the information about them. Like it takes years to like get that out of somebody but you have hopefully over time you develop certain experience of like reading people so you can you can you can kind of sense whether you're compatible or not you know and that's kind of how her movies are like just she's drawn to these characters for some reason i don't think probably if you ask kelly reichardt she probably doesn't can't fully like explain why but there's certain like spiritual mystical quality about these individuals that she's drawn to you know talking about why she picked montana there's a reason for that probably you know why she's drawn to oregon or you know like there's a sensibility there which makes her an auteur among directors and she's not just somebody that you would hire to direct the next marvel film you know 
I, like to I see hope it. I like, that never happens. I I'm, I like I, to see it. I would like to see it, but I hope it never happens. Chloe Zhao got one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Amazing. Um, amazing. Yeah. What about Albert? Yeah. So oh, Albert's probably in his seventies, yeah. right? Yeah. He seems pretty happy. He's talking about the birds. Do you yeah. remember that part? Yeah. Oh, right. I, oh, that's I, a beautiful scene too. It is, it and is. it's the I think the one moment when he looks at her and he goes, "He relates." Hmm, yeah, we do have something in common. Yep. That that was a beautiful little scene. See, where I I feel like I'm uncovering things that I didn't. Yeah, and again, this goes yeah, back to it's like beautiful. Yeah. Nobody is one dimensional in her movies. No right. matter how much we want to make them one dimensional, yeah. like she always finds these moments to be completely judgment free and make you take right. another look at somebody and be like. Yeah, this man, I, at first I thought that he was a relative that had Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. That was my initial yeah. take. But then the more they talked to him, I'm like, maybe they don't even know this guy. Right. Yeah, and then the whole bird scene, and I'm like, oh, he maybe is all there. And he's was she just... recording their conversation? Yeah, she was. Yep, and I think and that's just... so that she had legally taken the, right, the sandstone. Right. Which is so far so off she from might be Albert's a lawyer. world. She right. might be a lawyer. Yeah. Right, she right. Yeah, been. wouldn't that be an interesting thing? Well, all yeah. three yeah. lawyers. Um, there's a quote from Albert in this that I wrote down. It was, uh, so he's referring to the sandstone, and he said, um, it was from the old schoolhouse, you know. I always thought the school was prettier than the church. And um, he was just referencing the sandstone. It was foundation of this thing, and... Um, he also talked about his brother and him mm -hmm. salvaging that sandstone and mm -hmm. then just leaving it out there. And he was clear. He knew he knew what was going yeah. on. He knew the time. Yeah. He just had, you know, he lived alone a long time, it appears. And Gosh. Yeah, it he was matter. craving uh, people to talk to, too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it doesn't matter how little, like, the more we talk about it, the more I'm thinking of, like, like why were they discussing, why was she even brought into this school, uh, Beth's character? to teach the teachers about the <laughs> law of like, or students' rights. Like what the hell happened in the school that the right. teachers are now required to take the time out of their day? And it seems like it's late at night. It seems like it's, yeah. you know, after hours, like seven, eight o'clock and shit. They have to do it twice a week. It's almost like they are being punished. Right. Like, But then, then one of the guys just comes up and says, well, I'm taking over, I know yeah. enough. And I'll tell you, I'm divorced. Exactly. <laughs> like, what, what is, yeah. What is, is that all about? Is he? Yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that's Laura Dern's future. Well, there's. I feel like so. That's a theme. I didn't want to get into it, but there's a lot about men complaining out loud. You know, like Will Fuller right. is a good example. That yeah. man with the divorce. Oh yeah. There's a lot about mm -hmm. like men not just sucking it up and dealing and you have these female characters who they do talk, but like they're definitely dealing, yeah. you know? And I don't know if that's some sort of social commentary, but it, Cause yeah, yeah, it's definitely a social commentary. I think, I think that's why Will's seem of him just bawling in the car, just like left me. Fly. I was like, Oh my God, yeah. dude, you need to get it together. Yeah. Right. And Laura's character is like, come on. Like yeah. you, she's like, what? you can't say yeah. these things. Like you can think them, but you can't say these things to right. me. No, it's true. <laughs> Well, I think this is probably a good place to wrap up unless you guys have any last thoughts about the movie that oh, you want to good share. One. Thanks for picking it, Courtney. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad that we had this great discussion about it. Yeah, I'm grateful too. Yeah. This is a movie I hadn't seen. Yeah, so it's, and it's a quadruple Montana whammy. 
Yeah. And I must say that I almost watched 20th Century Women, which is what <laughs> I always confuse these two. And I started it and I watched it for a minute. And I'm like, wait, this, with is not a net this has nothing to do with Montana. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really yes. funny. Um, there was a quote that I wrote down that just, uh, I don't know, resonated for me. Um, so this is when Michelle Williams and her husband are talking in the car about the sandstone that they've like, taken from the old guy and they're they're just like oh they're they're feeling shitty about it and she says we just have to think of something really good to do with it then it won't feel so sad to take it and yeah yeah i i just felt like that uh feel feels feels it was perfect for that kind of entitlement of these people who come to Montana and want to yeah. want to own it, want to possess it, but they don't really know why. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That was perfect. Thank you, yeah. Lauren. <laughs> and thank you, Courtney, for being with us. That's You're a good welcome. Montana movie. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah. And with that, uh, I hope everybody out there has a good time. Why not? And thank you. <laughs> yeah. it on Tubi. We like movies. Morgan Norby with yours truly. This podcast was made for you. Get a season pass. Oh, listen, brand new. Montana made. Last best place. Celluloid spray and a can of bear mace. Movie reviews in the treasure state. Some are cool and others okay. O-M-F-G. O-M-F-G. Original Montana Film Guide.